Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 63. If you'd like to follow along in our Red Bibles in the pews, we are reading from page 479. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So I'm starting to feel silly, but I've explained like 110 times this morning that I sprained my ankle playing basketball. So I feel like I've told all of you that like five times, but if you're one of the people who hasn't heard yet when I'm stumbling around up here, I just sprained my ankle playing basketball because I'm getting old now and I'll be fine. Um, Anyway, I'm excited about preaching on Psalm 63 this morning as we continue um, our Lent series. Um, I'm going to say a prayer for us. Would you join us, join me in a one more word of prayer? God, thank you that we made it here this morning. Um, Thank you for song. God, thank you for this space. Ask God that you would just take away any distractions, the the things that go on in the back of our heads, and, um, and let us hear your voice, God. Let this psalm encourage us and speak to us um, and inspire us this morning. These words from King David. Um, so God, would you just speak in this sacred moment? Um, in Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 63, um, David wrote this psalm, and he didn't write it when he was having a good day. Uh, he didn't write the psalm when he was in, you know, in his house, eating good food, hanging out with his family. Uh, he didn't write it in that scenario. He wrote it when he was on the run, um, hiding out in the wilderness, maybe in caves. He was on the run, uh, probably, most scholars think in this case, probably running from his own son, Absalom. Um, Absalom was a very devious son of his, and he tried to take over the kingdom Um, by force. Absalom was also known for being incredibly handsome and having a big, beautiful head of hair, which actually led to his death in a very twisted story later um, in the scriptures. But David's on the run when he writes this, like running for his life, hiding in the wilderness somewhere with some of his trusted people with him, trying to figure out if he can stay alive while his son masses the army from Jerusalem um, to come and get him. David is not having um, a very good day. And David writes these psalms out of this very guttural, emotional place of trying to wrestle with the idea that this God he believes in is there and loves him. He can trust this God. He can be satisfied in this God. 
Um, and he writes these psalms, this poetry out to God. Um, and I love these psalms because they are just, they're real. They're, they're authentic, they're real, they're emotional, they're, they're very raw. Um, and I think if we're honest, we can often relate to these psalms um, in a real deep way. Um, this morning we, we go back to this Lent series that we've been in for a couple weeks and we have a few more weeks of this Lenten series. As we prepare for the celebration of Easter, um, we pause to reflect um, and to ponder what does it look like to return our hearts to God? That's the theme of Lent is for us at Regen, is returning our hearts to God. And we've invited you to partake in a couple kinds of fasting with us. Um, the first kind of fasting is a simple fast from food. So we've asked if people would take a break from one meal a day or two meals a day and take that space um, and pray and seek God and seek God's face in that time. And then to take some money that you save and go out to brunch, uh, maybe on a Sunday with some people that you know from Regen, to take someone out to brunch and enjoy a feast on Sunday. Um, I remember when I fasted for the very first time, um, I was in college, and it was my senior year of college, and, and I played basketball, and I was having the worst senior year of basketball of all time. If you could make up a story of how bad it was, it was, it was worse than that. And I was, I loved basketball, so I was deeply, I couldn't even explain it, like sad, depressed, angry, emotional, ticked off, hated my coach, wanted to quit. I was, I was going through some serious feelings. Um, and so I went home for Christmas break, and I didn't know what to do. I just knew that, I mean, I, it was like my life was falling apart, and I didn't know what to do. And so I said, I'm going to fast and pray for like the first time. I've heard about this fasting and praying and, you know, really committing to God and seeking God's voice. So I'm going to fast and pray. And so um, I started to fast and pray. And I remember I was at my parents' house and I was on the, I remember being on the couch. And I think it must have been like noon or one o'clock, my first day of my big spiritual amazing fast. And I can vividly remember being on the couch and rolling around and groaning and crying like a three-year-old. Like, I just remember, like, rolling around and going, like, oh, I hate this. I'm so hungry. Like, why was I doing this? Like, I can't. I'm so uncomfortable. And just, like, like rolling around, like, wanting to get attention from my parents. And I'm, like, just rolling around on this couch. And, and my mom, who is, like, the sweetest, quietest, kindest, non-confrontational person, like, of all time, just walks in the room and finally is, like, what are you doing? And I'm, like, well, mom, I'm fasting. Like, this is hard for me. And she just kind of goes, okay, well, could you quiet down a little bit on your fast? Because I don't know, like, this is a little too much. So can you maybe calm down if you're going to fast? And I was like, my mom was just mean to me. Um, but I, I was like, this is hard. This is my, my insides are saying that something is very wrong right now. Like, like literally, like, hour four of my fast. Um, but I, it sunk in really quickly that doing a fast from something that you enjoy or you're used to, it can be hard. Um, it can cause some uncomfortableness when you fast from food or something else. It can be difficult. It can be a little painful. It can be a little hard. It can be a little weird. Um, it can be tough. So I want to encourage you, um, as we think about this fast, um, I want to encourage you to keep going or to jump in for the first time or to keep going if it's a little difficult and to try it again and to, and to take that energy and to return to God and to pray um, with that fast. Um, the other kind of fast we've invited you to is a personal fast. And I think this one in some ways is, could be even more important for a lot of us. We've invited you to really consider, to reflect, what is something in your life that is keeping you from connecting to God? 
And that could be some very obvious sin or a sin that you know about that you've kept private, something you know you shouldn't do that you would like to stop. It could be that. It could be saying, I am going to really commit this Lent season to staying away from this thing that I know I need to stop. But it could also be not an obvious sinful thing, but something that isn't necessarily evil, but that takes your attention, that, that takes your energy, that distracts you from connecting to your creator in a real way. Maybe not evil on the face of it, but something that is, is grabbing you, something that you maybe even need now that is a part um, of your life. Um, I'm going to share the thing that I've been fasting from. And it's funny, I, f- I feel like okay sharing it because it seems so cheesy and, um, and uh, pass eggs. I'm, I'm fasting from social media, along with like a million other people in America for Lent, um, trying to fast from social media, okay? Um, and I did that because I, I realized, for me, um, it was something that was distracting me more and more as time goes by. Spending a little more time, and now on the iPhone, they have that little thing that can tell you how much screen time you have on different apps, and that kind of horrified me when I saw how much screen time I was using on my iPhone. And I realized this was becoming a little more, a little more prominent part of my daily life as time goes by. Not less, but probably becoming more and more. Um, and so I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break from social media, right? It can't be that hard. Um, so I took like, went, deactivated my Facebook account, um, worried people thought I was like blocking them because you can't find me anymore on Facebook, and uh, got like Twitter off my phone, got Instagram um, off my phone, and said this is going to be great. I'm going to take a break from all this. Um, and then I had um, a moment really early on. I got done with work, and I was tired. I'd been through a lot of things, a bunch of ideas in my head. Went home um, to my kids, and I have three kids, and the younger two, I'll, I'll just say often, if three kids are in one room, there is often conflict. Like two kids can have no conflict. Like three kids in one room, like 95% of the time there's going to be some conflict in the room, okay? So I come, it's like work, and I'm tired. I just want to go, right, sit on the couch, and, and I come, and two of my kids start bickering about something and they're going on and you bumped me and you took my pencil and you and they're like the voices are getting and I I'm on the couch and I find myself I just reach for my phone for the Instagram like I just reach for it and I, and I realize oh, I don't have Instagram and then I realize this is what I do like something uncomfortable happens and I feel some anxiety and I don't really want to deal with the anxiety happening here so I I do like many Americans do like I pull out the phone and if I, I just scroll through Instagram for like five minutes and find something cute, it might just distract me enough where I can kind of like just leave this anxious moment for a minute and deal with it with the Instagram or the Facebook or, you know, or the Twitter or the, I'm not cool enough for Snapchat, but like, you know, whatever, whatever it is, we develop things. And for you, like some of you might, like I see some nods like, oh yeah, like that's, that might be my thing. But we have different things that we latch on to to take the edge off. In that moment where we have an ache in our soul, that moment that's uncomfortable, that moment where there's anxiety or there's stress or there's loneliness, there's confusion, we often grab something. We grab something just to work through that ache in our soul and to find satisfaction. So this morning we look at Psalm 63 as we continue Lent um, and we see what David writes about looking for satisfaction Faction from God. Um, so I'm going to read it again. Psalm 63. It'll be on the screen. 
David wrote, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So the, the big idea this morning is that God can satisfy our souls. God can satisfy our souls. Um, our weary souls, our distracted souls, our confused souls, our tired souls, our anxious souls, God can satisfy our souls. Amen? So we, I, we actually came up with that, that like tagline in a sermon marinade a while back, and I really like it. Like this idea, God can satisfy our souls. And I was like, oh, I love this tagline. And I was going over my notes like a while ago, and it hit me, that's a beautiful tagline, and it's true, and I love it, and I think it sounds good, but what does that mean for our real life? I started to wrestle with, okay, I can leave church. What if we all left church with the belief, okay, God can satisfy our souls. Cool, I can remember that. I believe that. But my question is, what does that actually mean Monday at 11 a.m., wherever you are, when you feel an ache in your soul for whatever reason, what does it mean to actually trust that God can satisfy your soul? So I want to explore that for the next few minutes. It's going to be a slightly shorter sermon. We're going to have a little longer time of worship. But what does it look like to trust that God can satisfy our souls when we're lonely or confused? If you are sick of your job, if you are running out of money, right? If you are looking desperately for a wife or a husband or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or you have that wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, and you're tired of them and you can't get along, right? If your kids aren't doing well, like if things just aren't quite working and you can't find the right apartment, what does it look like on Wednesday at 3 p.m. to actually live with the reality that God can satisfy my soul. Um, David writes, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So the first thing I feel like I can get my, my arms around or my brain around a little bit is the idea of earnestly I seek you. So David says, okay, I'm crying out. I'm trying to trust. And David says, earnestly, I seek you. That makes a little more tangible sense to me, to earnestly seek my God. And I was thinking about earnestly seeking God throughout my week. Um, and I was thinking about the fact that we can earnestly seek a lot of things. Like, I can earnestly seek the next show to watch on Netflix. Have you ever done that? I'm like, I need the next show to watch with my wife. I'm going to like read every article ever about the best shows on Netflix I've ever seen. And I'm going to earnestly seek that, like earnestly find the best one. I can earnestly seek like the next restaurant to go to. I can earnestly seek the right school for my kids, right? I can earnestly seek the best, cheapest vacation spot for my family that won't cost very much and is just right. And it's going to be warm. I can earnestly seek. David says, God, I earnestly seek you. It takes energy. It takes intentionality. It takes time, right? It takes like something. I'm going to keep looking 
for this. I'm going to seek this God throughout my day. So David writes, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. David wrote, When I remember you on my bed and meditate on you on the watches of the night. He, He writes of this idea of our mind being turned to God. Like turning our gaze, our focus, our meditation, turning our mental focus to God throughout his days while he's running through caves and wilderness. Um, last week, Pastor Albert mentioned um, a quote from Dallas Willard, and I perked up because I'm kind of a Dallas Willard fanboy. Um, I love all his writings. Um, and I want to read a quote, a longer quote from Dallas Willard this morning when he, he writes really beautifully about the idea of focusing our mind um, on God and that God forms us as we turn our mind to God. So there's a quote, it'll be on the screen. It's from a, an article he wrote. I think it's also in a couple of his books um, called Practicing the Presence of God. He wrote, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. David knew this secret and wrote, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God, but these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward being. Now, I loved this, and I I read it several times. I just had to work through the part. I'm not smart enough to know what a pole star is, so I had to look up what a pole star is at the very end of it. Something like a north star, or this this place where your compass turns back to, where you find meaning and you find purpose, a guiding principle. Um, But Willard writes... Listen to this one little phrase. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly toward him. Um, I had the privilege of, of being a part of a silent prayer retreat for one of our home groups from Regent. They went to Big Basin, Redwoods, um, and I got to be a, a part of kind of guiding them and talking to them as they, as they decided to set aside a lot of the day yesterday just to be silent and, and pray. And one thing that kept coming up is this idea that when you try to be silent and pray for a long time, your mind wanders, and you can be hard on yourself when that happens and get mad at yourself. Just like you can go through a week and get to Wednesday and realize, I don't think I've thought of God for three days. And you can think, well, I must be a horrible Christian and God must be mad at me. And you can kind of spiral into doubt and shame and guilt on that. Or you can realize that, you know, on half an hour into a prayer retreat in the Redwoods, or... Wednesday at noon, and you can just gently turn your mind back to God and say, okay, God, I realize I have forgotten you lately. I'm going to take this moment to gaze at you. I'm going to take this moment to remind myself that you are with me. I'm going to turn my mind, redirect my mind to you, God, in this sacred moment. And really, we have a whole literature in Christianity about spiritual disciplines, and I geek out on that stuff. I love reading about spiritual disciplines. But really, at the heart, they are different ways to turn our mind back to God. 
So when we talk about prayer, or reading the Bible, or memorizing the Bible, or solitude, or silence, or fasting, prayer, these are ways that we say, I'm going to turn my mind intentionally back to my Creator in this moment. And the more we do that, Dallas Willard writes, the more it becomes natural. When you have that moment, instead of reaching for the Instagram, you can actually train your mind to actually say, I'm going to point my mind back to God in this moment where I'm feeling stressed and I'm feeling unsure. I'm going to point my head, my mind, my heart back to God. Because we believe that God's always with us. Right? Amen? We, we believe, the Bible teaches, Regen believes, that God is always with us. Even if we don't feel him, even if we aren't listening, that God is present with us. So we don't need to go find him somewhere. He's not lost. We don't need to go run somewhere to get him. But we can actually just realize that God is with us and turn our gaze, which our gaze might be watching March Madness on basketball, which can be okay, right? Or Instagram, and to turn our gaze and say, I'm going to turn my gaze to my heavenly Father. So David wrote, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. Your steadfast love is better than life. So when you get to that point I was at last week, when you're at the dentist's office, and I did not want to go to the dentist, they were doing a deep cleaning and it sounded horrible, and I had five minutes, they said it'll be, it'll be five minutes, and I sat in the waiting room by myself, and I instantly wanted to open my phone and scroll, and I realized again, I don't have Instagram on my phone, I'm trying to do this thing for some reason that's wearing me out right now, and I said, oh, or I can actually take this five minutes alone in the waiting room and like ponder the fact that God is with me. I, I can turn my mind to God, and the fact that I don't want to go to the dentist, I have more things to do, I need to get back to Oakland and do things that are important, and I can actually tell God that right now, and I can talk to God instead of staring at my Instagram feed. David also wrote, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Now, I find it ironic and kind of humorous that as we talk about fasting from food, David is writing a psalm and saying, God will satisfy you as with fat and rich food. That's David's illustration. So I, I just imagine David out in the wilderness running for his life, not having incredible meals as you, as you, I've never done that, but I'm just guessing as you're running through the wilderness to be alive, you're not having a, a, an incredible feast. And David writes as he, as he wrestles with his worship and trust in God, God will satisfy me as with fat and rich food. That way you're satisfied from fat and rich food. So to help this idea drop into our minds a little further from the psalm, I'm going to ask you um, to take a couple minutes, and I'm going to ask you to find one person, so either a group of two or a group of three, um, and I want you to share, if you consider this, this thing that David wrote that's in our Bible, um, about being satisfied by fat and rich food. What meal sounds the most satisfying to you? So I want, I want you to think about if it's like an incredible, you know, incredible fancy restaurant that has all these fancy reviews, or if it's in and out or if it's like your grandma's special meal, whatever it is, think really quick, what is the most satisfying 
meal that you could imagine with fat and rich food that just satisfies you. Think about that. I want to give you like two minutes, find one or two people and just share what would be the most satisfying meal you can enjoy. And then I'll cut you off in two minutes, okay? So go for it. Find somebody, share the most satisfying meal that you could ever imagine. Okay, I'll give you like 30 more seconds to go ahead and wrap it up. Some of you enjoyed that. Some of you weren't quite sure what to say for a minute. Some of you jumped right in. But some of you, I wonder, like, were you listening to somebody share and just seeing the, the joy on some people's face? Did, did anybody have that where they started to share that meal and like there's something that just came out that was like, oh, it's so satisfying when I have this, this certain meal. It just, it's just right, just right. So David's trying to wrestle with how do I even convey to God how I feel? And he says, this is the way God satisfies my soul. The way that a rich meal satisfies me. That's, that's a little window, a little glimpse, a little shadow, a little metaphor of how God wants to satisfy our souls. Where we find this satisfaction in God's presence and it goes deep down into our heart and into our soul and we can trust in that and remember that and hold on to that reality of God. God's who, who God's love is better than, than life. So for one thing, if you go to brunch, you should go eat good food. I'm just going to lay that out there. Don't go to McDonald's on your brunch if you go. Like, eat some good food. But use that as a little illustration, a shadow of the satisfaction that God wants us to have in God's love as we meditate on it in the watches of the night. Um, We're going to close in a couple minutes. There's one more thing David focuses on in Psalm 63 that I want to focus on. Um, David writes, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. And then also, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. So David also writes, and this idea of satisfying our souls, of seeking God, of singing to God, praising God with our lips, with our voices, even with raised hands to, to worship God in that holy moment. And you know, for, for us that are seeking God, even in this church, some of us just gravitate towards music and worshiping through music. Maybe you know someone like that, and they just, they love, it's just simple, it's natural, they gravitate towards song and some of us that aren't as musically inclined or don't like our voices as much, you know, or maybe don't like public displays of affection or raising our hands, some of us, it takes us a little, it's not as natural for some of us to connect with God in that way. But I would challenge you, wherever you're at, um, that even as in a few moments as we, as we sing to God, that this is a way that we connect to God. We remember God. We find our satisfaction in God as we use our voice, our song, our lips 
sometimes our hands, sometimes even kneeling to worship our Creator, to give God the glory that He is due. And as we do that, God can remind us, God can move us in a deep way in our soul that doesn't happen in other ways. God can remind us and God can satisfy us and God can speak to us as we sing songs to our Creator, as people have for such a long period of time. And even some of the songs that we sing today are, are really, ref, really reflect this Psalm 63. And I just love thinking about that we sing today things that David wrote so long ago as he wrestled with finding his satisfaction um, in God. I'm going to pray for us one more time, and then we'll, we'll enter a time of worship um, in a moment, worship and prayer. God, as we enter this sacred time um, of song and of communion, of reflection, of prayer, God, would you encourage us that we can find our satisfaction in you, that those parts of our soul that are lonely or that are aching or whatever it is, God, that you can satisfy all those parts of us and our soul, that we can find that in you. God, would you meet us in this moment? And I know that you are here with us, God, but may we sense that you're here. May we trust that you are here and know that you are right here with us.